Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a real fun one for you, Omar Doom from Inglorious Bastards, from Death Proof, from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, also from music, including the hardcore band Ordeal, and chilling with uh, the Gigi Allen... Uh, uh, the Murder Junkies gang. More on that in a second. This is a fun one, I told you. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you so much, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show. I really, really, really appreciate it, buddy. I love you. I love you, little brother. And he will get the message to me. Uh, and, and you can also, uh, get in touch with me more directly by going to at left for Damien on Instagram or Twitter. There's also a Facebook page and an Instagram page for turned out of punk. Both of those are turned out of punk, uh, respectively. And, uh, yeah, you, those are all the ways to communicate with us. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you enjoy this podcast, that we do weird shit, like we we interview people you don't normally expect to be on a music podcast, but that's what we do here. And so tell everyone, you know, that you like this thing that we're doing. Or you can support the show by subscribing to it, writing a review and rating it on iTunes or wherever you listen to this thing. Or you can head over to patreon.com slash punk and thank you so much to all the people over there at the Patreon that do that and contribute to the show that way. And speaking of supporting the show, this show would not be possible without the kind support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, do the show, just just do it as you want to do it, Damien. And just, you know, you're not going to have to lose money or pay for it out of your pocket anymore for web hosting and things like that. And so thank you to them for doing that. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it lets me keep doing weird things like this. New York week that I threw together this nineties, New York week. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I basically did three episodes in short succession. Uh, this kind of one kind of ties it all together a little bit, uh, listening back to it. I realized that maybe, maybe these don't fit together quite as well as I thought they did, uh, when I first did them. But anyway, I did the podcast with my good buddies, David up and, and Simon doom, no relation to Omar doom. Uh, earlier in this week, you can hear that one. We talk about the Murder Junkies gang and, and you know, Lower East Side shows and sort of spiky punk and street punk and all that kind of stuff. Then there's also the episode that I did with my friend Kevin Gill, where in addition to talking about wrestling and all that kind of stuff, we talk about Kevin and striving for togetherness records and growing up in Queens in the late 80s and into the early 90s. And then this episode with Omar, even though Omar's not from uh, New York City, he goes to New York City and spends enough time there and that it kind of kind of fits all together. Now, granted, in the Kevin Gill episode, the show that he's talking about that he went to is in Long Island. I thought for some reason it was Pennsylvania when I did the interview with Omar. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, Kevin, you'll, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. Well, I was wrong about that. And so maybe the Kevin Gill episode doesn't fit as well together with this episode as I thought it did, but... My gosh, does this fit in well with that Simon Doom episode, especially Simon Doom part one where we talk. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You're going to hear it in a second. It's a short one. It's a sweet one. It's a good one. Here is Omar Doom on Turned Out a Punk. Omar, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. 
Well, as I was just telling you off air, I've been really looking forward to this because, you know, I feel like I'm connecting an origin to a face right now. <laughs> yes, yes. This will be fun. Well, I got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is, Omar, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Well, I have two ways that I found out about it. One is through skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple half pipes in my backyard so at a very young age. So a lot of the older kids, like the teenagers, were, were coming over. And uh, I was basically hearing what they were playing. And uh, I kind of excelled a lot at skateboarding. And so I was keeping up with them. And so they started taking me to other ramps. And then eventually they just started taking me to shows. And this is, I'm, I'm young enough that, that, you know, they had to ask my parents permission for me to leave the house. <laughs> and so, like, you know, at 12, 13 years old, I was going to see bands like, you know, Chromax and. I actually saw the Ramones in the late 80s when I was around 13 years old at a, some small bar in Reading. Um, and uh, I pretty much fell in love with them. Um, but actually, the very first time is uh, I have the other way is I have o- older siblings, and I had this older sister that's about six years older than me, and she had friends that were coming over. And, you know, I must have been in, like, third grade at this point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they were bringing over cassettes of, like, the Dead Kennedys. And I was just like, what is this? You know? It was just like, I remember they took me for a ride around the block in their car. And it was the first time I was in a car that wasn't driven by, like, a parent or something. <laughs> and they were just, like, blasting this Dead Kennedy song in this, like, old rundown car and, like, having all this fun. And my eyes, I'm just in the backseat with my eyes wide, like, oh, my God. This is like a world I've never seen before. And I like took that Dead Kennedys cassette that, that they gave me and I like brought it to school and I was like, look, everyone, this is punk rock. <laughs> so you mentioned growing up with half pipes in your backyard. How did you first, I guess, find out about skateboarding? Well, skateboarding is just something that everyone kind of found out about in the early 80s. Um, it was just there. And I, I I don't know how I gravitated towards it. I mean, it was – and I. I got a skateboard for Christmas. I begged for one. It was like a really awful skateboard, but um, you know, I I fell in love with it. And uh, and and skateboarding and punk rock kind of went hand in hand back then. So like, you know, uh, we're, if you were a skateboarder, you were a degenerate. Like you were one of the bad kids. And if you, I kind of embraced it. You know, I embraced the whole culture and was able to, you know, learn about so much. Um, Another way I learned about it is through the movie Repo Man, mm-hmm. which came out in 84, and they had bands like uh, you know Circle Jerks, Black Flag, and Fear, bands that I'd never heard of before. And I didn't see it in 84. I was probably eight then. But you know, a couple late years after that, you know, I was, there was just like so much cool shit going on that I was finding out about. It was actually a really good time. So, yeah, I guess where was your first show you went to? You know, you mentioned, you know, seeing the Chromex and the Ramones, but what was the first one you went to? Punk Rock? Yeah, Punk Rock. Oh, actually, first concert you went to, period. I think I saw Guns N' Roses when they when they toured Appetite for Destruction. Whoa, that's they were a opening wild up, tour. They were opening up for Aerosmith. Yeah. No, that's like <laughs> yeah. an infamous run. Yeah, it was great. My dad took me. I was like, afterwards, I was like, what do you think about Guns N' Roses? He's like, nah, no good. <laughs> I was like, what do you, you think about Aerosmith? He's like, they were good. <laughs> Thinking back, like I'm lucky that he didn't like Guns N' Roses, but there was no, 
you know, there was never a talk about whether I should like them or not. The fact that he didn't like them didn't stop him from letting me see them, which I'm I kind of really grateful for looking back. After that was the Injustice for All Metallica tour oh, that I man. saw. So you were in the yeah. middle first, I guess, or like more like glam. It kind of happened at the same time, but I guess you could say metal was like a, a year before. Yeah. And, and once again, is this like kind of through, I guess with the metal stuff, is that more through MTV or is it through kids you were kind of meeting as well? That was through kids in the neighborhood. There was a kid that lived two houses over me that was a metalhead because of like an older cousin he had. It was all just, all this music was passed down to us. We were just fortunate to have like cool people that were older than us in our families, you know? Yeah. Well, especially because at this point it's like kind of pre-MTV even like, and definitely pre-MTV getting into, you know, punk rock in regular rotation. So you kind of yeah. had to have it given to you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to deny I loved Michael Jackson at this time too. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> uh, so where did you kind of go like you know you're into you're seeing these shows now where did you got were the record stores you were going to to pick up music yeah there was one in bethlehem pennsylvania called play it again records i grew up in eastern pennsylvania mm-hmm. and uh that was like the go-to place for everybody it might still be there so who are some of the local bands at that time? Like, I know Pagan Babies. I'm trying to think of some other kind of Pennsylvania bands. Like you- I had a local band. What was your band? Ordeal. It was like a hardcore band. Did you guys put any records? Uh, we had like a demo that we put out. I guess we were like locally famous. Nowhere beyond that. And plus there was another Ordeal from DC that has nothing to do with us. Yeah, because I think I, 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 there's a 7-inch on Sunspot Records. But that must be the DC Ordeal, I think. Yes, that, or somewhere around there. But yeah, they were more famous than us. <laughs> I mean, we I was like 14, 15. So, so how did you start playing music? Uh, well, I was i was doing music ever since for a young age. Like I started with piano in second grade. And then, you know, once you learn piano, you can kind of learn anything really easily, especially if you're going to play punk rock music. After piano, I became obsessed with the drums. And so I was playing drums in bands. And in seventh grade, we had this uh, punk rock band where we just covered Misfits, Sex Pistols, and uh, uh, Ramones. Basically, we were a cover, or a punk rock cover band. We had like two original songs, and we played at like the talent show. <laughs> How that Nobody come? liked us. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was there. Metal was huge at this point, so everyone was there to see the, the Metallica cover band. But whatever. We had paint on our faces and stuff, and they didn't get it. Oh, you corpse painted up even. Yeah, we had like black on our eyes and, you know. Oh, true Misfits style. Yeah. So what I was, was a like... huge Misfits man, but Ramones was like my my biggest, my biggest heroes were the Ramones. What was the first Ramones record you remember getting into? Mania. Yeah, that's the ultimate kind of gateway yeah. one. And then through that, I got back, you know, went to the originals like Ramones title album, Rocket to Russia, you know, Road to Ruin and all those. I actually had a gang in junior high school. And we didn't really have a name or we didn't really do anything. But to join the gang, you had to wear a Ramon shirt every day. <laughs> and so basically, and it started growing. And so all these kids in school started to have, they, everyone just called us the Ramones. They didn't know it was a band. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're lucky you didn't get listed with the FBI with the Juggalos and all the other gangs with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I followed the Ramones like the Grateful Dead. I mean, I think I saw them like 20 times. Really? Yeah. So the first time, uh, where was the first time you saw him? At this bar in Reading, Pennsylvania. It was like a small punk rock bar. And I was, uh, maybe I was like 13 or something. And uh, they placed us, since we were so little, 
like in this little box next to like the pit area. But that box, um, it was right where they walked out onto stage. Mm -hmm. So when they came out, I was like, oh my God. And I tried to like shake their hands and like all the security was like trying to hold me back. And they were all dumbfounded. Like, wait a minute, nobody tries to touch the band here. Like, this isn't that kind of thing. (laughs) But we were like these little fanboys. And then Joey and Johnny saw us doing that. And they were so surprised. And they like said, no, 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 no. And they pushed the security side and shook our hands. Oh my God. That's awesome. It was a dream. And then afterwards, this is when CJ just joined the band. So I guess DD had just uh, overdosed. And uh, so CJ still had his short hair. He didn't even grow his hair on yet. Mm -hmm. But afterwards, he gave me his pick. Oh, that's. I had a Ramones pick. What a show. Like, do you remember? Did anyone open for him? Was it just them that night? Oh, I don't remember the, the whatever. They had some local bands opening that I didn't really know anything about. It was just, but man, when the Ramones play live, it's like a train, like a mm-hmm. like a freight train. Like they're so loud and fast, it's like a whole nother world than listening to them, uh, you know, on your stereo. I couldn't. That was like my first experience of like a real powerful show when you're like right in front of the band. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine seeing them in that kind of venue because by the time I was seeing them, it was like. You know, Lollapalooza or, or like opening for White Zombie, but like to see them in an actual bar setting where it's like, oh, they tore the place apart. It was madness. So where was like, you mentioned following them around, like, would you go and see them out of state or would you mainly? Yeah, well, basically like in the tri-state area, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, there was a place called City Gardens, New Jersey. Absolutely. They they also, they also did a show called Escape from New York where they played with like Blondie and uh, Tom Tom Club. That was like one of the bigger kind of venue shows. Um, basically anywhere we could, you know. Like at, you know, going to local venues and stuff like that, were you seeing bands like Breakdown and, and you know, mention the Chromex and stuff? I like, played with Breakdown. Really? You guys opened for Breakdown? I, had, they, I played a show with, with them and um, uh, what's it called? Warzone. That's awesome. What a hell. <laughs> and uh, we played with Biohazard a lot at this place called Unisound in Reading. You know what's so Sick funny? Sick of it all. Yeah, I just had a wait with Sick of it all and Biohazard. Yeah, we opened for them, and they actually took uh, an ordeal hat and like held it up for everyone. They were like big supporters of ours. You, you know what's so? Well, I just had a guy on the show, Kevin Gill, who uh, does a lot of wrestling commentary and, and and did a label back in the day called Striving for Togetherness, and he was talking about that being one of the first shows he ever went to. Wow! <laughs> just the other day, I think he was talking about <laughs> yeah. it. Was, was that in in Pennsylvania? Yeah. That's wild. That's exactly where he said. That's that's incredible. Killing Time was playing too. That was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. He said he at that show he bumped into a guy and apologized. And then two seconds later, someone else bumped into the same guy and didn't apologize. And that guy spin kicked that guy and knocked him out. <laughs> like that's the thing I wanted to ask you about. Like, cause you know, the shows you're talking about, obviously the Ramones and, and things like that are, you know, Blondie and Tom Tom Club is one thing, but you know, you're talking about like the the definition of New York hardcore. What were those shows like? You know, they were violent, man. Pits yeah. back then were a different story, man. People, you go in there, you leave bloody, and like it's. I mean, it was scary because I was so young that, you know, I saw it. I was just like kind of freaked out at first, you know. Um, uh, but they were no joke, no joke. Yeah, like that's the thing. It's 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 uh. You know, it's it's such a intense time for that music because it's like you know at that point it's getting more and more uh, aggressive. Like, did you ever go to like any of those a- ABC No Rio shows, or were you more into like that sort of like you know Capital NYHC sound? 
Uh, the the hardcore stuff that was like later in high school, so I was more into that kind of sick of it all kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, all the punk stuff was before that. So, so we, I like you know, obviously, um, punk and hardcore for me are, are one and the same. I kind of look at it, but did you kind of view them as being two separate things for yourself? Well, see, the thing that happened with hardcore is it started borderlining with metal. You know, and then the early '90s they started slowing down, and then uh, you know the chugga chugga style just like took over all the different bands, and everyone started slowing down. And our bands went through the same thing too. We were playing fast in the beginning, and then we slowed down. And everything was about the pit. Everything was about getting people moving. You know what I mean? That was the the point of every song you made was how big of a breakdown you could make. You know, <laughs> exactly. Build it up and drop. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny because you're a DJ now, and I imagine it's also like. You know, I, I know very little about DJing, but I imagine a lot of it's also about the same sort of idea about building up to this sort of big drop. It actually is. And uh, I was writing all the music in my band because I actually taught everybody how to play their instruments and then composed all the music and really? kind of like formed the band. Yeah, because I kind of learned, you know, remember I said I learned drums first and then I switched to guitar and then, then I was just composing and I was like writing songs in like study hall on, on my notebook paper. It wasn't like actual note, uh, like... I, I like made my own way of like writing notes because <laughs> I didn't really know how you're supposed to do it. But um, yeah. So were the people like in this band, were they into punk and hardcore? Or are you kind of like, Oh yeah. Yeah. So they were like just kids that you were like, okay, I need people in this band. I'm gonna, you guys are going to be my band. Yeah. They were basically my best friends. I'm like, you're going to play bass. Don't worry. Anyone can do that. You're going <laughs> to play drums. I'll teach you how to play drums. <laughs> but they all excelled really fast. But like we were able to like actually uh, command a good show. I got to hear this demo. This sounds exactly like up my alley, like sound wise. Yeah, I'll send it to you sometime. Oh, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. So, like, did you ever like? So, did you just kind of want to take this band any further, or is it just kind of something that reached a natural? No, I never thought like I would like make money from it or anything. Or it was just something I wanted to do in high school. Like I always knew I was going to end up end up moving to New York City and just like doing art and other stuff. Um, and I uh, actually stopped uh, the music for a while. But see, after, at that time when I was listening to hardcore, and I was also started getting into industrial music, like uh, Front 242's uh, album Geography and uh, Ministry, uh, Nitzareb, and it was that segue that took me into really electronic music. Where did you kind of get into that more industrial stuff from? Well, I mean, I remember... I mean, it was probably when Nine Inch Nails came out with their first album, um, and they played it at the first Lollapalooza. Uh, that was like a big moment, actually. Um, and Ministry was already going for a while. And basically, it was just, you know, anyone who was listening to punk and hardcore, then like, industrial started seeping in, you know? Yeah, yeah no, well, definitely, like, in, you look at all those people and a lot of the bands you mentioned, like, a lot of them came out of punk and hardcore, or like, more specifically, I guess, punk, but... Yeah, I mean, they were listening to bands like Joy Division. And, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. yeah definitely. Uh, going back to the Chromag show, where did you see the Chromags? Airport Music Hall. They were they were playing Age of Quarrel, oh. and Harley was singing. With Harley <laughs> singing? Yeah. Oh, so it's after John left. <laughs> yeah. What was that? Was uh, That show must have been... I loved it. Everyone was talking shit, I remember, about Harley being the singer. And I was like, this is great. I don't know what you guys are talking about. But I'd never heard the other singer. Yeah. But I really like Harley, his whole vibe and everything. It's intense. It's yeah. definitely an intense vibe. <laughs> so you, you did eventually move to New York. And so what, you know, mentioned uh, moving to New York to pursue art? Yeah, painting. 
Yeah. And so I was basically I, just making lots of the big skulls and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I went to art school actually, and uh, at this time I was listening to a lot of Gigi Allen actually, because I was living in the Lower East Side, and like the whole squatter scene was going off. And did you ever see like yeah the Murder Junkies? Do you ever see? Any, yeah, you saw yeah. a bunch. A friend of mine, like after Gigi died, a friend of mine was uh, Mark Philibrown. He was actually performing with them on stage, like doing all the crazy stuff that Gigi would have done. Did he sing too or just do the crazy no, stuff? No, he was just like on the side doing his like crazy sideshow stuff. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was able to hang out with like Merle Allen through that. It was kind of cool. I always heard that like after Gigi, I'd actually, someone who was on the show recently as well, talked about like growing up in the Lower East Side around that time and just how post Gigi, the murder junkies almost functioned as just like a, not the, so much the band, but like the, the people around them as a gang. And you just, yeah. Had, like, these, yeah, I was in that gang. You were in that gang. Yeah. This is amazing. You, Omar, you're bringing so many threads together. Who else was hanging out in that scene was Roger Merritt, singer of agnostic front. Yeah. They were all kind of united through the whole biker scene. Oh, that's so, so how did you get involved in that? Cause it seems like that would have been Through my friend. He was actually, he was, he's actually the one that got me into Gigi Allen. And then we ended up moving to New York and he became friends with Merle. And, and I think, cause he was already doing this crazy sideshow stuff and I'd do some with him. Like I'd go on stage at like the pyramid club with him on Avenue a, and I'd be like throwing darts at his back, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think Merle saw it or something. He was like, yo, you should do that on stage with us. And he was like hanging drills from his dick and you know all that stuff. So this is almost like proto Jim Rose circus sideshow. It was right at that time when that was like getting big. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. Like you're bringing so many threads together for me right now. Like, <laughs> in my mind, like, like honestly, like I had two completely different episodes that are now all coming together through this conversation. So, and that's what I honestly, this is why I do this podcast. So thank you for this. Oh um, man. So that must have, once again, like, you know, intense for a completely other set of reasons than the early New York hardcore shows. But those shows must have been wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was so much fun, man. I've had so much. I've I've been so fortunate to have known a lot of my heroes in life, you know, and, uh, you know, being I mean, I'm not going to say I was best friends with Roger Merritt, but like. I'd be able to walk down and like nod at him on St. Mark's place when he was on the payphone. I remember one time and he knew who I was and I was just like, yes, you know, stuff like that started happening all the time. And I was, you know, I was just floored. Yeah. Well, the, of course. And that's the thing about punk. That's amazing is that, you know, these people are not just your heroes, but ultimately your peers. Yeah. And that started happening to me with movies too. I mean, we can get to that later. Yeah. Like, I guess, you know, I, and I don't want to, you know, I definitely want to get to that, but I, you know, I, this, we're right now in such a fascinating period of time for me, like early nineties, New York, where you have, you know, kind of the end of the hardcore scene, the end of the Gigi Allen scene. And it's just, you know, pre, you know, New York kind of being gentrified and exploding into a whole new thing, you know, and, and all yeah. the other scenes, but it's like, there's just so many different worlds happening at the same time. Like the Noiseville record stuff, um, the squatter punk scene, and, and and this whole stuff, they're like, how much did of that other stuff did you ever get to see? Which other stuff? Like sort of the squatter punk bands, or like the more spiky punk bands, or or more of the like noise rock bands. Um, it was more just like hanging out with those guys. There was a guy named Slug we used to hang out with. Um, and uh, like he had on his on his neck, he had t- tattooed "Choke Me as I Stroke, Bitch." 
<laughs> and he's the guy that you see in the end of the GGL and the documentary that Todd Phillips made, Hated. Yeah, he's the guy that you see with arm in arm with Gigi walking away from the Second Street show at the gas station. Like, those are the guys I was hanging out with. Oh, my God. That's so wild. Yeah. And so, like, but it must have been, like, you know, like, it must have been harrowing. Like, there must have been people around you, like, just, like, that didn't get out. Uh, most people died of heroin. I was going to say, like, it must have been yeah. ravaged by that at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Was that something that, like, did that ultimately drive you out of that scene? Or is, like, is that something that you, you just grew out of that scene? Or, like, what was the reason that you I actually it? did kind of stop. I mean, I started listening. I started going back to my roots after that. And instead of – I started going back to the 60s, actually, mm -hmm. after that. Like, towards the end of college, I was listening to all the 60s bands. You know, like the Sonics and, like, the Stooges and – all the bands that like were the influences of my favorite bands, like the Ramones, actually met each other in high school, and the reason they became friends is because they all liked Stooges. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone probably already knows that. But it's like I don't know. For some reason, I st I stopped listening to all the hardcore and just was listening to like old rock and roll for a long time. And I started really getting into '60s garage. Were you still living in New York at this time? I moved to LA. Was there a scene of that kind of revival stuff going on out there at that point? There was. Um, it wasn't as big as it was in the 80s, yeah. but it was coming back around. Yeah, it seems like that stuff, uh, you know, uh, it's almost like every 10 years there's like a 60s garage rock revival scene, it seems, that kind yeah. of pops up. Yeah. Were the, like, were you going to shows at that point, or like, what, what brought you out to L.A.? I mean, if I oh, I, <clears throat> I actually came to LA to start a clothing company with my sister. I was doing all the artwork for the T-shirts and stuff, and she was doing all the business end of it. What was the company called? Dia she had one. It was called Diabla, and we had one called Beauty Fiend. Basically, we were selling to like Hot Topic and stuff. This is back when Hot Topic was like the number one retailer. Yeah, and selling millions and millions of shirts. <laughs> yeah, we were making a lot of those shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you going to shows out in LA when you got out there? I remember seeing the Seeds doing like revival shows and uh, rest and, in peace, uh, Sky. Yeah, uh, four, 13 Four Elevators played. Um, what else was I seeing in LA? Oh, yeah, I was going to more smaller shows then, I guess. So were you like? I guess how did you kind of get into the whole acting thing? Like, obviously, being in Los Angeles helps, but like, how did you kind of like? Did you have an inkling that that was something you wanted to do? Well, yeah. I mean, at a very young age, I was, you know, I was making art. I was making music. I was everything I did was revolving around the arts and act. And movies were something I really loved. Um, and uh, acting was something. It was like a fantasy. I never thought it would actually be possible. Um, but then, when I was living in LA, I was like, I was like, you know what? Like, this is possibly something I could do. And then I ended up becoming friends with Quentin Tarantino. Which, uh, and he was like, yeah, you'd be cool in movies. And I was, I was like, okay, you know what? I should give this a shot. And, uh, I remember the day actually that I decided that it was like a very freeing moment where I was like, why not? Why not try this? You know, any business that you try to jump into is going to be hard. You oh, know? absolutely. Yeah. But that's like such a high pressure business, you know, it's like, you yeah. know, like a lot of places that you, you have the opportunity to fail in private first, you know, that's place. It's like you're, you're, you're oh, yeah. there. failing in public has been, has sucked at times. <laughs> that's true. That is definitely true. 
Peaks so, and valleys. So, like, were you kind of going to Kim's video back when in New York? Because it's like, oh yeah, because I was I was working at this like piercing place called Andromeda, which was a couple doors up from there. And I actually did all the artwork and the paintings and everything, the whole sign out front. For Kim's? No, for uh, Andromeda. Oh, I think I must have like I would like obviously visiting New York, always have to go to Kim's and stuff. So it I was one of the. F- it was basically I think it was the first stoop after Kim's. Sock man was to the left of it. <laughs> <laughs> so were you going to Kim's video and kind of getting into that video culture at that time? Oh yeah. I had a, I'd never been to a place that had like different genre sections and like mm-hmm. director sections. And like, that was a new thing for me. It's also like that period in time that you're talking about. It's like film threat magazines kind of happening. And it's like, yeah. zines were everywhere. Zines yeah. Are everywhere. Yeah. Like what a, what an amazing time for like independent media. Yeah, there was this really cool store. I forget what it was called in the East Village, where it was like the place to go for all the like uh, lowbrow art books and magazines. And this is when like Robert Williams started becoming popular again. And yeah, and so I was all- kind of like really into that whole art scene at this point. And so those are the kind of paintings I was kind of making this kind of lowbrow thing. So were you into Joe Coleman at all? Yeah, I've actually met him many times. Oh, that's amazing. I love watching the performance videos. Like <laughs> Yeah. He like I was at this party one time and I was I ran he, nobody recognized him and he was just like standing in the corner being like brooding in the corner and I went up to him and I was like, "Hey man, I really I really love your paintings and stuff." And he was just like looked at me funny. And then uh, I was like, "Okay." And then I walked away. <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later I came back to him and he like pulled me aside and just started like prophesizing in my face saying stuff like holy is the woman who cannot give birth for to bring a baby into this world is pure evil and all this stuff and i was just like oh my god just kind of taking it all in (laughs) Uh, it's kind of like the ultimate dream i guess until you're in that situation and then it's like oh this must be a little intense yeah i stopped listening and started looking at his like eyes because they were so like (laughs) piercing (laughs) <laughs> yeah no i like have you ever heard his band the steel tips yes i never saw them live or anything yeah i, I think he was only in it from what i understand for like a, a brief window of time but like yeah oh that one video that i that's on youtube is yeah. a heavy watch one on my yeah. part so and then a friend of mine Asia argento ended up putting him in some of her movies oh absolutely and she oh, started yeah. hanging out with him and so like we had all these connections through different people like that yeah it's like that whole scene is such a amazing scene that you like out in LA and not like once again, observing it from afar, but like just this whole group of people that are just like into like the awesome world of, of cinema, like lowbrow, highbrow, and just like celebrating it. Like I've, I've read somewhere that you had like a crazy birthday party where you picked a bunch of like awesome movies, like awesome TV shows and films to watch. I didn't pick those. Quentin picked those. Oh really? You didn't have a say in what you, what he showed at your birthday? I actually put in some requests, but he he was like, "Okay, cool." But then when I showed up, he's like, "This is what we're watching." <laughs> <laughs> it was basically uh, the Mac. It was like the was the the Mac was like the was the main was the was the main attraction of the night, and he had a bunch of trailers and other movies leading up to it. Oh, that's so that one of the great films of all time. What was your pick, though? I wanted to watch. I was just like, play some hot rod movies. Play some movies with a bunch of hot rods because I was into like hot rods. I had this like 53 Chevy that I was rolling around in. So I guess like what's the difference, uh, you know, obviously apart from everything between the films and, um, and the music world. But I mean, like 
as far as the creation process and the process of getting into that headspace to perform, like, is it different, like, from psyching yourself up to go on stage to psyching yourself to go out in front of a camera? Um, I, it's, it's kind of similar for me. And if you want to compare, uh, performing musically and performing from a camera, theater is a totally different story. That's just like, that's really scary. (laughs) But, uh, but you know, actually performing on stage definitely prepared me for being in front of a camera because there are times when, you know, if you're working on a Tarantino movie where, you know, he has to block the shot, how he's going to make everything. And then you kind of have to show the whole crew, which is like 300 people, how are you going to do the scene? And you kind of have to act it out in front of everybody. And I was just like, I, I was just like so excited to do it. Like not an ounce of me was really nervous. Oh, it must be just so electric, the energy too. And like, also, you know, like you're going out there with like, arguably one of the great greatest directors of this generation and this era, right? Like you're not, like, it's, you feel like you're in good hands. Well, like, were you making, uh, were you DJing throughout this whole period too? Or did, how'd you get into making electronic music? Uh, well, like I said, I kind of segued into the techno thing through the industrial music. Cause if you listen to some of my music now, it does have a very industrial kind of feel to it. But also at the same time, it's kind of like a cinematic vibe, but it's like a slow, kind of menacing beats um and people have actually been comparing it to like uh older industrial music so um i guess it's kind of seeping in there a lot more than i thought but uh yeah it's pretty much a direct result of listening to punk rock industrial and it was just kind of a natural progression for me so what's your plans with the music now like uh, obviously you've released some tracks but are you gonna like do you want to take it to the next level or is it like a are you able to balance the two or do you want to pursue acting more? Or is it like, how does that work? Well, music is something I feel like I just always have to make, like whether I'm putting it out, whether, whether it's, you know, even getting much traction. It's just, I just got to put out some music every so often. And, uh, and I, I make exactly what I want to make. I'm not like thinking about what, what's going on out there or anything. Um, which has probably hurt me a little bit, but like, it's just, uh, it's just something I feel like I have to do. And yes, definitely. I want to act more and I'm um, pursuing that as well. So in terms of the music though, I'm going to put out another EP in a little while and, uh, hopefully tour that one and, uh, also do some more movies. Have you ever thought about going back and doing like another punk or hardcore band? I've jammed out with people, but when we do, we always end up playing doom metal. And the, the name is just the name. Is a coincidence because I changed my name to Omar Doom before they even started coining it that. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get the name Omar Doom? Well, my last name is pronounced McDoomy. And uh, I remember I was having lunch with Quentin one time. We were at Toy on Sunset. And uh, I was telling him, I was like, hey, I was thinking of shortening my name to McDoom, Omar McDoom. What do you think? And he was like, why wouldn't you just be Omar Doom? And I was like, uh, oh, Okay. Actually, maybe, and uh, thought about it for a while, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. It's an awesome name. Yeah, thanks. And it's very symmetrical, too, with your first name. Yeah, yeah. I was, but yeah, I started getting really into like the doom metal bands, like uh, Electric Wizard, and uh, which are you know in, influenced by the, all the Black Sabbath stuff. And uh, so whenever I would jam with my friends in the past few years, it would always be like that kind of stuff. Oh, I love sludge stuff and, and, yes. and, doom and like, that's my, have you heard of the band cough from Virginia? Yes. They're pretty cool. They're awesome. <laughs> they have this one song. Um, what's it called? Killing um, field. Maybe let me look at my, my songs here. Cause it's the only cough song I have. I think 
The song Killing Field. Oh, a theme. Oh, I got to check out that song because Killing Field is kind of the same way for me. That's my track for him. But go, go on about the one you're talking about. Yeah, it's A-T-H-A-M-E. Oh, it's I, like 20 minutes long. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I will check out that. Check out Killing Field because that's my, uh, that's like, I think it must be also like 12 minutes long because I think it takes up like a whole side of one of the LPs. Yeah. It is a. Bong uh, Ripper is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Bongzilla. Yes. I'm a, yeah. I think we like the same stuff because we followed the same, uh, we kind of have the same trajectory. Absolutely. Music, Absolutely. You no, know? it's funny because like it's, you know, you meet certain people in the paths they take and you're like, wow, you know, it's, and all the stuff you're talking about, it's like, yeah, all these Sonics that I'm fascinated by and they're, they're different, right? Like there's, there's no way you can say, oh, the Ramones sound like Breakdown, who sound like G.G. Allen, who sound like Cough. Like they're all yeah. completely different, but they all fit under the umbrella of punk in some way. I think probably because the people that are making the music come from the same place we are. And so uh-huh. they're listening, everything they listen to and everything we listen to, like brought us to this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to go deep into it. No, and I, <laughs> I'm also fascinated by like what brought us all to this point, because like there are easier paths to take in high school. Like, you know, if you were into like yacht rock or metal, you wouldn't have to, you know, force you're, no, not, not force, but like have to recruit people to play the music, you know, like you would just have a bunch of people around you that probably were into that stuff. And we're like, Oh, I already know how to play that. Let's play that. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's one of the, it's a harder path to, to kind of walk. Yeah. And yet we all chose it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's got, there's gotta be a common denominator in there somewhere. Is it Satan? I don't know. Like that's, you tell me, <laughs> I'm wondering, cause it's like, there's something like, what it's like, you know, you look at someone like, you know, uh, um, everyone from like Josh Brolin to to uh, uh, Jillian Anderson to yourself to to you know to Fat Mike from No Effects, like everyone like came in out of this weird little subculture. Um, this has been a lot of fun, Omar. Would you ever come back and do a part two with me? Oh hell yeah! This was a lot of fun. When you yeah, when you put out the new EP, I'd love to have you back on to talk more about you know uh, New York hardcore or New York scum rock or you know, something a little more classy than New York scum rock, but we can talk about that. <laughs> Squatter core. Thank you, Omar, for coming on the show. And you heard that right there. Omar will be back for a part two. Uh, I would love to get like Simon Doom and Omar Doom together and talk about the Murder Junkie Gang from two different sides because, uh, oh, that was. I had no idea that it was going to go those places. That's why I love doing the show. Tristan will hit me up and be like, hey, how about so-and-so coming on the show? And I'll be like, sure, you know, why would they want to come on the show? And then, lo and behold, you're talking about playing with uh, with, with Breakdown, you know? Or you're, you're, you're talking about Chromag shows. You're talking about the Murder Junkie Gang or something like that. So, ah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Whew. Well, let's keep up the fun. Next episode on this show, which will be coming out very shortly. I'm just going to put this whole thing together. We have a, a bonafide legend coming on the show. Next episode on the show, the one, the only, Butch Vig. Butch Vig, of course, is a legendary producer, uh, member of Garbage, uh, but, but we go, we go to a lot of other places on this one. This is a really fun conversation. I love talking to Butch. I, I, we go, I'm, I'm, you'll hear it next week. You'll hear all the stuff next week. I'll, I'll fill you in on all those details. So that's it for the show. 
Once again, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. Get informed right now. Uh, get involved. Show up. Donate money if you can. Um, it, it's, you know, uh, a pretty important moment in history. And you want to you wanna be, you know, on the right side of this thing. Uh, fuck fascism. <laughs> Speaking of right sides of this thing, fuck fascism. And go out there and sign your organ donor cards because by the time they're coming for your organs, you're not going to need them anymore. So just give them to someone else and, uh, you know, keep, keep the good times going for someone else. Uh, also go and make your own culture. Cause anyone can do this shit, start a podcast, start a band, do whatever you can. Just, uh, you know, uh, go out there and, 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 you know, do something like that. Stay safe, wear a mask. And that's it. I'll see you next time on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Love you. Goodbye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.